think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 306 of Low Limit Football on this 22nd of November, 2020. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight... Erling Haaland continues his scoring run with four goals and a 5-2 win over Hertha Berlin on the weekend. Bad news gets worse for Barcelona on the weekend as they lose for the first time in La Liga play to Diego Simeone as Atleti win 1-0. Then they lose Gerard Piquet and Sergio Roberto for an extended time with serious injuries. MLS Cup kicks off with a wild one between Orlando City and NYCFC. Champions League, Europa League, and Copa Libertadores all return this week. And we're going to look back on the U.S. men's national team performance with our very special guest, Neil Blackman from Yanks Are Coming, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But my co-host, let me get him in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm good, Joe. And I'm actually happy that we're actually going to speak or have spoken to a lawyer that is very intellectual on many things, especially soccer, and especially not one that appeared to sweat hair dye like a certain one that we both know. <laughs> oh, man. The Four Seasons Landscaping, right? We're, we are not live. Yeah. From, we, you and I, we are not live from Four Seasons Landscaping. Let me just make sure that everyone understands that. We, we <laughs> Wow, I didn't expect you to go that route, but hey, you know, what a mess. What a mess. Let's just look at it this way, man. It's Thanksgiving this week. Um, let's be thankful for the, the people that we have in our lives. Let's be thankful for the good things in life um, and, and, you know, hopefully be thankful for the coming future that uh, hopefully is a little bit brighter than the 2020 we've gone through. So, um, but yeah, don't leak hair dye, whatever you do, <laughs> whatever you do, man. Um, you know, life lesson learned, right? I guess. Yeah, life lesson learned. Don't, yeah. don't. Don't sweat hair dye, basically. No, don't do it. <laughs> Just don't do it. Man, let, let's jump into the show because we've got a jam-packed show and we had a great, great, great interview with Neil Blackman just a few moments ago that we're going to bring you in just a little bit. Um, but my friend, I have the honor of trivia tonight. Um, so if uh, if you're ready, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, and, let's do it. All right. So we have, um, we have the return of Champions League this week. 
And I know we, we do a lot of um, Champions League questions. This is one as I was doing some Champions League research that I kind of caught my eye. Um, and it's about most appearances in the Champions League. Uh, the top 10 most appearances in Champions League is littered with Spanish players. Um, led by number one, Iker Casillas. We've seen uh, Xavi on this list. We see Sergio Ramos on this list. There are five Spanish players in the top 10 overall for most appearances in the Champions League. I don't want you to give me the Spanish players. I want you to give me the top five non-Spanish players on this list. Okay. okay. So, All right. and if you yeah. want, and, and if you want, I can give you the Spanish players right now. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So real quick, uh, the, the five Spanish players that are in the top 10 list, Iker Casillas, Xavi, Raul, Andres Iniesta, and Sergio Ramos. Those five players, uh, Spanish players, are on the top ten list of most appearances, and you've got to give me the top. Five, you got to give me the five that aren't Spanish. Okay, I Good. think I have an idea of of these names. As I say, you might have a, you might have a couple, but uh, there was there was a couple that were really interesting to me. So uh, we'll give you that answer at the end of the show. Let's uh, let's jump into it, man. And uh, I alluded to it a little bit in the opening monologue. Uh, Erling Holland uh, has a massive, massive game on the weekend. Four goals, three goals in 15 minutes, by the way, in a 5-2 thrashing of Hertha Berlin. Um, you know, he also wins the Golden Boy Award. Uh, he scored, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, 30 goals in 31 matches um, for for Borussia Dortmund. I mean, the kid... Vice versa, vice versa. Oh, 31 goals in 30 matches. Um, he was subbed off in this one for... Uh, for a youngster by the name of Mukuku, who is uh, who became the youngest player to uh, play in the Bundesliga, 16 years and one day, um, and that's after scoring four goals. Uh, you know, so he's he's had a, a heck of a week. Um, what are your thoughts on Holland um, and Dortmund? Of course, with the slip up for Bayern Munich, drawing one one to Werder Bremen on the weekend, uh, pull within one point of the uh, the leading spot in uh, the Bundesliga. What are your thoughts on Holland, my friend? Well, I'll, I'll go to the the actual race that we're seeing in the Bundesliga in a bit. But man, I mean, look, I remember when we first spoke about Holland, and, and you know, he, he was scoring goals at Salzburg um, in in every game in the in the group stage. You remember, and that was only just last year basically then he gets his move to Dortmund in January I remember sitting here and speaking about someone that scored a hat-trick on his debut against Osberg and 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 now he's just scoring goals for fun it, it's incredible yeah. and it's like you know I like to use the term robot machine whatever but it, it, that's exactly what he is he's a player that he's very quick he's very athletic his positioning is great I like his balance I like the way that he just likes to move always in the right position to, to score, and I think that's just what makes him so deadly. You, you look at him; he's a physical specimen, like six four, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want to make the Slatan comparisons and, and and all that, but he's just he's just that good and that good of a goal scorer. And I think when you do such a thing, and 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 those games, and those games that we see, you know, the one where he scores the poker against Hertha Berlin, the day that he wins the Golden Boy, that just shows how much of a talent that he is. Yeah. And I think I I think he can only get better. The only question will be now, and and of course all the the super lactives and all the great goal scoring stats that you can have is important. But now comes the big part: how does that help in terms of the league season? Because obviously Dortmund, their expectations are obviously to do well in the Champions League and win as many domestic titles as they want. But they want to win the Bundesliga. You know, they want to end 
the the campaign that Bayern have had for so many years. And, you know, unfortunately, they weren't able to to do that uh, in the last year classic where they lost two, three. Uh, yeah, three, two. So I, I think now is the time where Holland is scoring all these goals for fun, scoring in the Champions League, scoring in for Norway as well, actually, at such a young age. But now he has to prove that he's doing it in these big games where, where it matters, you know, because Dortmund are still technically not confirmed of a Champions League spot for the round of 16 yet. Um, and now with this race, with Bayern stumping up, um, I think they're only, yeah, they're only one point behind them. Now is the time for him to prove why he's this deadly goal scorer. I mean, you could say everything you want about his talent. It's clearly there. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. He is a versatile goal scorer. And it's mm-hmm. such a short career to do such a thing. It's so important. But now is the time for him to prove that he can do it for those big matches. I, I, don't, I have no doubt that he can do it. But I think now is the time that if Dortmund are really serious about wanting to contend and win domestic titles, he has to go and show up. And obviously he has to have a good supporting cast, which he has, thankfully, with the likes of Sancho, Reyna, Royce, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but I think now is the time where he has to prove all of the talent that he has and to help in matches that can help Bursch Dortmund get the, the titles that they need. Yeah, you bring up a great point um, about his need to do it in the big matches, right? And and I think first and foremost, that does start at the at Der Klassiker. And he did score in this most recent version of it. Um, like you said, they lost 3-2. He does get the late goal to pull it to 3-2. Um, but again, it, it's got to be something where they've they've got to win that match. Uh, and and he and I think maybe it's a little too much pressure to put all of the weight on him. This is a young side. It's a very talented Dortmund side. You know, you, you talk about Gio Reyna, who signed his contract this week. Um, you talk about players like Torgan Hazard. There's there's a lot there, and, and, and youth with age as well, because Marco Royce, um, who also scored in their classicer there, is another one of those of those players that they can learn from. Um, but but this kid, I, I like the I like the comparison that you made to Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I think that is the perfect, the the absolute perfect comparison because he's tall, um, he's strong, he's quick, uh, he makes intelligent runs behind the lines, which has led to I think if I remember correctly, his third goal in the match was one of those yep. like run-ins from behind, uh, you know, and, and he's done that. We've seen him do it plenty of times. Um, and then the kid's not afraid really of the camera, is he? Um, you know, he's kind of come off as a little shy, but, but ultimately he's not. Uh, so I think there's a lot there. I think the success in Europe and right now, you know, just checking in and quickly, um, Dortmund do lead group F, uh, with, uh, with the only loss that they suffered was the loss to Lazio, but they've certainly made up for that with victories over Brugge and Zenit. I, I think that Dortmund going deep into the champions league is going to be a key for them. And I do think that at least, maintaining that position against Bayern Munich because Bayern is not going to slip up much this year. They did on the weekend in league, but those are going to be very, very few and very, very far in between. And it's on Dortmund to be successful against the Wolfsburgs and the Leipzigs and, and the Leverkusens of the world to be able to get back to their classicer coming up next year. And the, in the second, uh, in the second round and possibly overturn that three, two result because their loss was at home. Um, so to go to, to Munich and to be able to reverse that is going to be massive. And I think if this kid has a hand in not only maintaining that positioning, but then getting to that Der Klassiker in the, in the spring and beating Bayern Munich in their own home soil, fans or not, is going to be something that'll contribute to his legend. 
um, moving forward. And and so that that's that's where the kid is at right now. And I call him a kid. He's twenty years old. Rob, he's younger than you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yes. Um, Thank you for making me feel old. By the way, <laughs> listen, <laughs> let's not have that discussion. But this is this is the kind of thing that you know. Talk about being legendary, being able to maintain that race with Bayern Munich, being able to score goals on the other side of Der Klassiker against Robert Lewandowski, right? Who is right now, for all intents and purposes, the best number nine in the world. I don't even think it's arguable. This is the kind of stuff that would contribute to this kid's legend. He's he's already growing it. And at 20 years old, the the world is only looking up. We've said that a million times for him, and he still continues to climb. So awesome stuff out of him. I mean, you know, they're coming up this week, I believe. And I'm just looking real quick. Dortmund do have Brugge at home. Should be able to manage that. They should get through this group, right? Uh, You know, leading right now, Group F. Lazio uh, within striking distance of them, and they've got to play the, the last match there. But this is Dortmund's to, to kind of throw away, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. I think they, they understand that right now with two more games left, they can't slip up. Mm-hmm. And certainly if they're able to get a win against Bruges, then that will only confirm their spot into the next round. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I, I think you don't want that much pressure. I mean, come on, he's 20 years old. And, and right. this is a young side full of young players who have been there for quite some time and, and, and perhaps their pressure is on them, you know, your, your, um, what's it called? Your Jaden Sancho's, your Julian Brandt, your Gio Reyna's, uh, your Jude Bellingen and, you know, the other players, um, Makoko as well. I mean, you know, you, you don't want that pressure right. on that, but you know, I think if, if you really want to contend for those titles, you have to place that pressure. You have to prove your worth basically. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's funny how Holland maybe isn't as it's kind of shy and, and the humility is there, but maybe you don't need that. So maybe you just need that more brashness of him. And I, I think that can go a long way to, to help Dortmund feel more motivated to, to go and and contend for this title. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, I think this guy, this kid, yeah, I'll, I'll say it now. He, this kid is on the <laughs> track to be one of one of the best players in the world. I mean, I mean. Winning the Golden Boy is perhaps a a um, oh what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, it, it could be a a foreshadowing of what's to come for him if you look at some of the history of the former players that have won that title. Um, sky's the limit for him is all I can say. Sky's the limit for him, and I think he's only just continuing to rising up and, and continuing to to hit and and break. Um, Glass barriers, definitely, no doubt about it. So, and you bring up a great point with with this Dortmund side. I mean, let, let's be honest, one of the more exciting teams in world football to watch, strictly because of their youth, because of the Reinas, because of the Sanchos, because of the Hollands. Um, lots of youth and lots of talent on that team, and and really, the, like you said, glass ceilings, and they keep breaking through all of them. So, uh, the next one I think is that Bayern Munich ceiling uh, that they're going to have to break through to really, you know propel them through through greatness but uh certainly exciting times to watch for them so let's uh let's table the discussion on holland and and dortmund and let's get our guest in here we were able to just before this recording meet up with neil blackman a great friend of the show from yanks are coming and got to talk u.s men's national team mls cup playoffs uh some great stuff in there so without further ado the neil blackman interview Joining us now on Low Limit Football from Yanks Are Coming, Mr. Neil Blackman. Neil, welcome back to the show. Um, I want to actually start out and surprise you real quick. Uh, 
it's well, it's pretty well known that you actually contracted COVID-19. Um, you had a, a heck of a time with it. So my first question to you is really, how are you feeling these days? Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know, I have some, uh, what they're calling some of the normal residual symptoms. I have some of the uh, lasting fatigue. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I still don't have the energy that I had, and I'm pretty active. Uh, I have a Peloton and, and you know, <laughs> try to uh, – there's no rec league men's soccer for me right now like a lot of us. We've had yeah. to give up certain things, but still pretty active and and just haven't – even with the exercise, haven't had as much energy. The good news is that I was without taste for four to five months after getting out of the hospital. Um, and taste came back last month, which is really great because all I could taste for four or five months was coffee or like things that are really strong and tardy like pie. Wow. Oh, it just, <laughs> very, very odd. Just in time for the Thanksgiving holiday too, just to get yeah, your taste yeah. back. Awesome. So, I mean, I know I speak for, for both me and Roberto when I say we're, we're glad you're, you're on the mend and getting better and hopefully sometime soon we'll get through this and we all will get to play, um, you know, le- league soccer again, because I'm, I'm worried that this thing is going to retire me, that I'm just going to get too old to go back on the pitch. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're glad to know that you're, you're healthy and, and you're, you know, you're getting back on the mend. So, um, let's get back to the soccer stuff. And I want to talk about the U S men's national team, obviously having run, uh, you know, having two matches in this international break, uh, drawing Wales nil, nil, and then, uh, just pounding, uh, a, a B-side Panama side 6-2. I don't want to say that this is a reflection, uh, good or bad, on Greg Berhalter, because if you think about it, this American side had not met or barely had met. Most of these kids had never played with each other. And I do say kids because this was a lot of youth players that are that are based over in Europe. And Berhalter only got these guys for a couple of days. It was like he picked them up at a Dunkin' Donuts and brought them to the field and said, hey, let's <laughs> play soccer. So um, I, I don't know that this is a good reflection, good or bad, or you know, a meaningful reflection of Greg Berhalter and what he wants to do. But overall, um, I think this team, for the most part, did what they were supposed to do or what was expected of them, given the time that they had together. I, I just want your reaction to the, the two matches themselves, how this team played, and, and what your thoughts were so far. So... I thought that the match against this might be the most controversial thing. I'll just start out with it. Um, and then I think everything else I say on low limit football today will be less controversial. I, I thought the performance against Wales was better. Um, and I thought that for two reasons. The first is that this was probably the weakest Panama team in two decades. Um, they were without the guys that sort of define Panama football, right? Like Blas Perez is gone. Luis Tejeda is gone. Roman Torres is gone. Jaime Pinedo is gone. They're all aged out. They're young teams, uh, which all play the same way, which I think is part of their strength and why we don't consider Panama really a minnow. Um, uh, you know, I know it's something that Roberto and I have discussed, uh, but their young players aren't quite aged up, right? So that youth team isn't quite where the senior team is. And as such, uh, they're just not anywhere near as good. They don't. They don't. They can't score. Uh, so it was pretty shocking to see them score two goals. Um, and I thought Matt Miaska played really badly. Uh, and you know, yeah, the U.S. won six two. So objectively, that's very good to to beat somebody that's a beat a weak team six to two. But I thought that you know the U.S. sort of made some catastrophic defensive errors in that game, which they certainly didn't do against Wales. Um, and 
I thought given the level of opponent falling behind that type of team is just potentially disastrous. And it's exactly what the U S is going to have to avoid doing and qualifying when any number of things can happen. And I add that because there was a challenge early in the game where in a qualifier, the U S is playing with 10 men, but because we're playing a friendly in Europe, uh, you know, it's a yellow card and, and, it really doesn't end up mattering. So that's kind of my take on the Panama game. Um, obviously, uh, I thought that the patterns of play uh, and the play with the ball was quite good. Um, I'm interested kind of to hear Roberto's thoughts on the – and your thoughts, Joe, on on the formation. Uh, it's really fascinating what they were doing. It was almost like a 3-2-2-3, three, two, two, three, wasn't it? Like when they had the ball. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which, yeah, it was. That, it's kind of, that's kind of funky. Um and and I thought that the other guy who who I thought was was kind of interesting was uh, Tyler Adams, right? Like, and and that may be the other argument for why the U.S. performance against Wales was better. Um, but let me finish that thought. The two reasons I thought the performance against Wales was better is I heard a lot of people saying this was like a C team from Wales. I I wholly disagree. I really think it was like a pretty decent B team. Um, Wales just isn't very deep. Uh, and you know, yeah, you're not dealing with Gareth Bale. But to play them in uh, Swansea and have them playing that deep a block spoke to how the U.S. was playing pretty well with the ball, I thought. And I also thought Tyler Adams was infinitely better against Wales. I don't know about you guys. Um, and, and, you know, really, uh, the U.S. clearly is going to need uh, Adams to stay central, a little ahead of the center backs, and, uh, and, and do that, that yeoman's work um for for Bearhalter to play out of the back and and I thought he was better at it against Wales. No, and, and I agree. I'm actually, you know, I was like looking at some of the um, the stats and some of the players that were there. I mean, yeah, I think you can agree that Wales are the better side than what Panama had to offer. So it almost felt like it was a given for the United States. Okay, maybe it wasn't the good start that they needed, but obviously they turned it around and and got the win that was expected of them. I think for the Wales one, I think it would have been much more tighter. It, w- it would have made sense because of the quality that they have. So, no, I, I agree. I, I don't see why it would be controversial in <laughs> any sense. But, um, no, I, I think um, I think this still is a side that, yeah, like I, like people are saying, they're, st- they're still trying to get to know each other. I mean, you still have players who have made their international debuts, scored as well. I mean, you got Gio Reyna, obviously, scoring. Uh, Gio on... Chini as well. I mean, you know, there's still a lot of things that this side is trying to to show. Obviously, a friendly is not going to be the, the end all be all of what is to to show heading into obviously Nations League and then the World Cup qualifiers and the Gold Cup and so on and so forth. So, no, I, I think we did see a side that is is very ambitious. I would say. I mean, obviously, the youth is is very exciting for a lot of fans. I, I think they, they have every right to feel excited and, and like every t- kind of side that is still raw and trying to, to get to know each other, you're still going to make mistakes. But I think I agree. I think, and Joe, you can go back to me on this one. I think Tyler Adams clearly is playing in a position and in a role which suits him best in order to help the United States get the, the results and, and the productivity that they have when they're going forward. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to echo the thoughts because you know, when, when Greg Berhalter first took this team over, if you remember, he was playing Neil. He was playing um, Tyler Adams in kind of like a, a wing back position, almost uh, if I remember correctly, on the right side. And you could tell that 
where he was playing for the men's national team versus where he was playing for the New York Red Bull at the time and then going over to um, RB Leipzig, it was is a different world. He was playing kind of in that, you know, just ahead of the of the center backs and kind of cleaning up the messes that came through there. And he was and he was incredible at it. It's really the position that earned him the move to Europe. And I could never understand why Greg Berhalter kept wanting to play him in that wingback position. Um, but obviously we've corrected that because he moved him a little more centrally. And you saw what Tyler Adams gives you uh, when, when he's allowed to do his thing in his position. It's his best position. And I, I thought this was the, probably one of the best takeaways from both matches is the fact that Tyler Adams got to play where he needs to play. Um, I also like the interplay, you know, for me between Sergio Dest and uh, Gio Reyna. The two of them seem to work very, very well together. You you really you, you go back and look, and again, like we said, these were these were watered down versions. Especially Neil, you make the great point about this Panama side just not being quite the Panama of old. Um, you, you look at the teams and you forget Christian Pulisic didn't see the pitch on either of these two matches um, because he's been out with an injury. And this team, you, you know, really got their gears going. I thought they, like you said, they they played better against Wales. There was a nice bit of possession based play that we saw out of both matches that I think would serve this style and this type of team very very well. Um, and their experiences. You think about you know the systems that that Adams and McKenney, um, Geo Reyna's playing in. This, these systems allow for possession-based play, and I think these guys did a great job of carrying that over. And I and I think this is the way um, the U.S. wants to play uh, with these quality of players and and these these style of players. This is where they want to be, and this is what they want to do. So, Rob, for me, the Tyler Adams. I just wanted to jump back in and and, and give that to you. The Tyler Adams part for me was probably one of the best things that happened in this particular match. Definitely. And, and and just going into that entire match, and it's good that you mentioned Gio Reyna as well, because, you know, that was going into my next question. We saw what has been expected of Gio Reyna, not just on the national team, but also at Borussia Dortmund, you know, just breaking in through this year, basically, this calendar year. He made his debut, you know, he's scoring goals, he's getting consistent playing time. He re-signed his contract now uh, for an extra two years, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, and he just turned 18. So, you know, for me, I think he is the shining star or one of the shining stars of a, of a bunch of stars on this national team yeah. that can that can help them into more important matches. But, you know, how, how big and important is uh, that re-signing of Gio Reyna to, to stay at Borussia Dortmund uh, at such a young age? Well, I think Christian Pulisic would tell you that it's immense that he had the opportunity to play very high-level matches – uh, without worrying about having to integrate himself into a new club and, and please a new manager. Although of course, Christian had to please a bunch of managers at Dortmund, but, but everyone came in with the expectation and understanding that Christian was a big part of what they were doing. And I think that if Dortmund's going to have managerial turnover, that will be the same uh, deal for Reina while he also has the opportunity to play in these sorts of <clears throat> um, high level matches that, that are just so huge at a young age. And I think to your point, and to Joe's point, uh, you know, it's very important. Uh, I think the two, two things, one, yeah, you know, Gio Reyna, I think is, is going to be integral to everything this team does, uh, in attack. And I thought that one thing that I love about him is how intelligent he is, you know, off the ball, the way that he kind of manages his runs and kind of recognizes the way that defenders react to certain things. Um, and, and you saw that a little bit against Panama, like he would release a pass and, and maybe slow down a little bit and then 
make really, really hard runs uh, after, you know, seeing how the defender was going to react to his movements. And I think that's big because, look, with with Weston and Eunice um, given sort of the freedom to make those late arriving secondary runs from deep positions, uh, you know, you can you can force opponents to react. And when's the last time that the U.S. was consistently forcing teams to play reactive soccer against them? Like, that's what Wales did for... 70 minutes right they set up in that deep block and they said we're going to try to negate these secondary runs that are being made well that's one of the best part of weston mckinney's games game and it becomes even more complicated and hard to defend those runs centrally when you have you know sort of this classic swashbuckler in the channels in pulisic um you know who has that kind of coutinho quality and then you have a guy like Gio Reyna. Um, you know, who can interplay with, with Dest on another wing, that's pretty lethal. And I, and I think that's exactly the type of team you need to beat people that are good uh, at the World Cup, not just in CONCACAF. 100%. 100%. Uh, switching gears to, to MLS and obviously what, what you described before we started recording is one of the weirdest seasons that you've had as a beat writer. <laughs> we do have to talk about Inter-Miami. Obviously, it was their debut season under the ownership of David Beckham. You know, they just quickly got into the playoffs and they did make a few signings with the likes of, um, obviously in the summer I'm saying, but Blaise Matuidi, Gonzalo Higuain, and obviously to get add into the signings that we saw with uh, Rodolfo Pizarro, Pellegrini, and so on and so forth. So how have you assessed the first season in, of existence for Diego Alonso's team? And, you know, what, what do you feel now is expected heading into the new season next year? So I think expectations next year are going to be that it needs to improve. Um, I, I would give it a needs improvement. And, I, and at the same time, I would give this opening season uh, a C plus in the sense that they didn't benefit, nor did Nashville, uh, from any of the normal things that expansion teams tend to benefit from, which is huge crowd excitement and kind of inflated home records. Uh, and, and I, there's been statistical analysis on it that like new clubs in MLS tend to overperform at home their first year. And a lot of that is crowd related. There was none of that energy. <clears throat> it's hard, um, to kind of make their own energy. And I think it would have maybe even been more pronounced in South Florida because of the heat and because that's such a huge pitch. Uh, you know, when you see it. I hope both of you get the opportunity to see it in person. Um, but, but just such a big field uh, that, you know, bringing in the guys that they brought in, I was always surprised that they didn't have a little more width um, <laughs> based on the kind of pitch that they were playing on. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, but, but I think um, I would give it a C plus. I, I think Diego Alonso is very pragmatic as a manager and so I thought this team never really found any sort of coherent style under Alonso. And that's an effective way to win knockout matches in particular, although it wasn't the other night. Um, but, but I think that's some of the reasons that Alonso has had success in the CONCACAF Champions League and in Liga Emeke uh, knockout competitions. I'm not necessarily certain that that's going to translate into high-level consistency in a league table uh and and certainly this year consistency was a big issue for them um they also struggled much more to to develop um any sort of coherent midfield ahead of what really was 
at least a better than it performed defense. At one point with five games to go, uh, they were in the top seven in terms of fewest goals conceded. So for all the laments about, oh, they give up these disappointing goals, they do. Uh, some of that was they just were defending so much. And a lot of that was because they couldn't connect uh, to their forwards. You know, Gonzalo Higuain arrived late. Obviously, they made the playoff charge with Higuain. Um, and it was cool to see him, of course, playing uh, in MLS. And, and he's a handful uh, and, and was very good. The guy that wasn't as good was Matuidi. And that was really surprising to me. I mean, you guys have followed me for a while. You know that I, uh, you know, have French heritage and adore my French national team. And, and I thought Matuidi uh, just struggled with adjusting to the pace and, and not necessarily the physicality of MLS, but I definitely think the speed bothered him. The cool thing about Blaze is how candid he was about it. <laughs> he said, you know, um, I saw that it was a quick league on film and it turned out to be even faster. And I thought he had some nice moments, but he clearly was tired. Uh, Alonso played him 90 and 80 minutes out of the gate. I thought that was a weird decision. They never really let him get acclimated with those like one hour shifts uh, for a guy that hadn't played in a long time. And, and he was a step behind and we saw that against Nashville the other night. So I think they're going to need more, uh, from him because they really were relying on him to kind of serve as that guy who could who could connect uh, the back with the front. They also didn't get as much out of Will Trapp as I think that they were hoping to get, uh, you know, for many of the same reasons, although not, you know, he's more of the classic six and Matuidi is the classic eight. But when you're six and you're eight uh, underperform, it creates problems because Rodolfo Pizarro, I remember talking to you guys before the season and just mentioning that, you know, the thing about Rodolfo is that he's not really a goal scorer, right? Like he's a guy that can get between the lines and cause problems, uh, but you don't want him to be your necessarily your primary playmaker either. Uh, he's not a goal scorer. He's not necessarily a primary playmaker. He is certainly a facilitator and a creator, uh, but he can't be option A, I don't think on any team. And he's not that for the Mexican national team. I don't think he was ever that in Lika Emeke, uh, but I do think he's one of the better players in CONCACAF if put in the right position. And I think Diego Alonso struggled with with finding positions to play him in. All that said, because uh, I just listed a lot of bad, <laughs> I think the, I think there were some, some significant positives as well. Uh, Roberto, I was very surprised to see how good Lewis Morgan is. Um, you know, I don't think anybody thought when they brought in a 22-year-old castaway from Celt uh, from Celtic that they were going to get a player that was this effective. Uh, but but he was by far the best chance creator that they had uh, analytically, um, just really good. I, and I also thought that uh, Julian Carranza had moments, right? Like it's always an adjustment for these young forwards and like anybody that thought he was going to come over here and just Joseph his way through the league doesn't really understand that Joseph had like multiple years on him and experience when he arrived. And that of course they're not really the same player, but I mean, Carranza came over as 20, a big time girls, big time goal scorer um, in, in Argentine youth setups. Uh, and I thought, there were times when you saw him starting to put it together and, and playing with Higuain is only going to uh, help that maturation process. And so I think they need him to be healthy 
for a whole year, first and foremost. Um, and then the defense, like I said, I, I, I really think that they've got, you know, just a future star in, in Reyes, uh, a guy that, you know, you could argue he was better at times than uh, Leandro Gonzalez Perez. Uh, and Diego Alonso loves Dylan Nielis, uh, their, their top draft pick. So, you know, I mean, that should inspire some confidence. I thought Nielis played maybe his worst game uh, against Nashville the other night, but it's a player that, that has earned Diego Alonso's trust. And, and I don't think that Miami's going to abandon the Alonso experiment uh, yet. Now, if, if next year is as inconsistent as this season, Maybe those discussions start, but hopefully, you know, we get a vaccine and, and by the middle of the summer, they can fill that stadium and, and it'll feel a little different than it felt this year. That was a very long winded answer, but I wanted to be thorough. <laughs> well, you know, you could, you could see the the fact that the team was missing um, both guns, both Higuain brothers and uh, LGP in that match against Nashville and it hurt them. And, and I think much was asked of Matuidi. Uh, overall, and I I did get to see Inter Miami live. I saw them when they came up to Hartford to play Toronto FC. Um, I thought I thought Matuidi really played well in that first half, but you could see him run out of gas. Um, you know, leading into the second half, and and it went from a one nil lead to, if I remember correctly, a two one loss. If it wasn't three one, I can't remember if it was two or three one. But again, you know, when teams like that run out of gas, and you've got to remember, I mean, Iguain Matuidi, they're all, they're both north of thirty. So that's going to be something that would, you know, I, I would have subbed them off a little sooner. Um, and the idea, you know, the interaction, getting the ball, the link up play through Pizarro and, and up to Higuain and, and that sort of thing is something I think that Inter Miami can definitely improve on coming into the next year, next season. So um, I do want to touch quickly on um, the job that Philadelphia Union have done. They've won the Supporters' Shield, the first trophy in their history. Um, Jim Curtin's done an incredible job with them. They they face off this week against New England Revolution, who had to play in, play their way into the playoffs. Um, your thoughts on the job Jim Curtin did, um, you know, leading the team all the way through and up to uh, that supporter shield. You know, I I thought, uh, and I said this during the MLS's back tournament. I said this is such an immense. Uh, immensely good sign for for MLS that this type of team can exist <laughs> and take the league by storm. Uh, seven homegrown players made appearances for the Union this year. Um, a couple of them among their best players. Um, Jim Curtin committed to this style, which was a change. I mean, he was humble enough to change the way that he went about doing things and committed to to this counter pressing style. Uh, and you know, here it is a couple years later, uh, and it, it pays off with a supporter shield, which, which I feel like is, is, you know, it's certainly a championship to celebrate whatever you think of the MLS playoffs. Um, and you know, uh, then they, they just have different ways to score. Like even when, when they counter press, it's different guys that do th- different things. Well, I mean, we all have seen Prisbelko. Uh, and we know that, you know, he can score from anywhere. We have uh, Brendan Aronson, who's who's much more of a, a creative player. Uh, we, we've we seen Sergio Santos emerge. Um, so, and, and they have depth, uh, which I think is going to make them very difficult. Look, the, the Revs are going to be a challenge for them. Um, 
you know, and I saw these two teams actually play uh, at MLS back and, and the Revs were, you know, obstinate. They, or sorry, I saw the Revs play Toronto and, and frustrate Toronto, who's very good as well. And the reason is, you know, Bruce Arena is kind of the American Diego Alonso in that he's very pragmatic. Uh, there's no real commitment to any one style. And, and I think it'll be a challenge, but if they get past that game, uh, you know, that, that potential game against Toronto is, is going to be assuming Toronto advances, it's going to be really, really fascinating because it's just kind of a battle of, of contrasting styles. But, but uh, I think Jim Curtin has done a phenomenal job and, and really elevated his name because of his ability to impose a style and do it with youth from his own academy. Uh, you know, I, you know, he's, he's getting in the conversation for me with, with Bob Bradley as maybe the, the best American manager um, and obviously Jesse Marsh. You know, I'm glad you bring up Bob Bradley because, you know, with LAFC facing off here against the Seattle Sounders, a team that, you know, I've heard Paul Tenorio describe as, uh, in terms of the Sounders, a team that can win the entire tournament or a team that can get bounced in the first round. You know, there's no happy medium there. Um, What's your thoughts on LAFC? This is a team that, you know, was massively um, successful last season, although they didn't win MLS Cup. Um, they did win the supporter shield. They've got Carlos Vela that, you know, there was much to be said about them. Um, this year it didn't go quite as well for them. So what are your thoughts on Bob Bradley, Bob, Bob Bradley and what LAFC are going to give us this, uh, this playoff run? Well, I'm very worried about LAFC, uh, in the game Tuesday night. Um, I think that obviously, uh, COVID has, it's going to create some problems with, with Diego Rossi, um, having tested positive. I, I don't know anything about his availability while we're recording Sunday morning. So, you know, if, if he's not going to be able to play, uh, I think that that's, that's a pretty huge blow to the things that they like to do mm-hmm. uh, and the way that Bob likes to play. Obviously, uh, Carlos Vela uh, is around and is the best player in MLS. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips is around and we all know what Bradley Wright Phillips has done over a decade. Um, Bob's defense is still inconsistent. Uh, I do think that uh, Jesus David Murillo has helped in that respect. Um, And, you know, Bob has been quietly, Bob's always confident, right? Mm -hmm. But Bob has been confident that his team has, has turned a corner. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, Seattle pushes them uh, in in ways that exploit that defensive weakness, though. So LAFC really needs to be uh, at their best defensively. Seattle only won twice in their last eight, it was eight games, I think, or seven. I don't know. They, they didn't win enough down, <laughs> down the stretch. But you're still dealing with, like, Lodero and, and Raul Ruiz and, and uh, Jordan Morris, who, who are all very good. Uh, it's going to be a really good game. I think it's the best game in the round of 16. Definitely. Um, I, can I squeeze one more question in before we let you go? Um, of course. I, I want to go back to the U.S. men's national team real quick because um, we did talk about Serginho Dest, and when you look at the teams the, the, in terms of the wingback play, the first match against Wales, they played Dest on the right with Anthony Robinson on the left, and in the second match, they moved Dest to the left and played Reggie Cannon on the right side um, in that spot. Obviously, it's nice to have the flexibility. It's nice to have the problem of Serginho Desk being able to play both sides. Mm. In, in your opinion, which which 
grouping do you like better? Did you like the Sergio Dest on the right, Anthony Robinson on the left, or did you like it the other way around with Reggie Cannon in? Oh, that's such a tough question. I'm still not over Robinson's uh, failed medical at AC Milan. Yeah, yeah. That... <laughs> like, how much more would I have liked the idea of that pairing if I thought if he were? No, I'm not even knocking. Like Fulham has been such a good club to American players that mm-hmm. you know I can't can't knock it too much. Uh, but but it was good to see Reggie get out uh, of MLS. He was ready. Um, and he's been really good in Portugal, y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think the thing about him is that he, you know, because of some of the biases that exist in the American sport, and I've been glad to see so many in our media call them out. But I think when we all first saw Reggie Cannon, he's fast, right? So people kind of created this this mythology that he was just really athletic. And I think that that's terrifyingly unfair to his game. I I think he's very smart uh, as a player. uh, And I think he has a really cool understanding of like when to get forward, when not to get forward. Um, And, you know, right now, I just like the intelligence of his game a little more than than the way that Robinson plays. Uh, but I think it's kind of cool that the U.S. has options at fullback when for years we were either anyone can play left back or, oh, my God, how are we going to replace Steve Terundle? <laughs> Never mind that. I mean, how many years did they run out to Marcus Beasley, right? Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and that's not even a knock on DeMarcus. It's no. just that, like, no one was better than 30 30- three-year-old Demarcus Beasley. Yeah. Like we, the U.S. could not produce a player that could make life complicated on them. And now, you know, you're talking about, hey, which guy do we start? And and I think it creates pressure downstream in the pool too because guys that maybe were going to be square pegs and round holes in those spots like Christian Roldan you know, what's his future with the national team? Um, because I think we all agree that like Paul Areola is going to have a role, whether it's as a backup wing back or as a, as a winger. Um, I don't think he's odd man out, but, but the presence of both Cannon and Robinson complicates things for players downstream, mm-hmm. which I mean, fullback depth complicating other things on the national team is like the opposite of the last 10 years. Yeah, it's, it's usually center back, you know, center back depth, and it's, it's actually gone the other way this time. So it's, it's funny. It's a great stuff. question. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's a fun problem to have, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So, um, Neil, before we let you go, um, where can everybody find your work? So uh, a lot of different places. Um, but so all my inner Miami coverage uh, is at uh, Last Word on Soccer. Um, and then U.S. Men's National Team stuff at yanserecoming.com. We're overhauling the, the website right now. But yanserecoming.com will be back up uh, this week. You can read uh, all my work about the national team and about international soccer at the Yanks Are Coming. Follow us on Twitter at Yanks Are Coming. Great stuff, man. Neil, thanks for joining us. Um, always a pleasure. We're also very, very happy that you are on the mend and can finally taste the turkey this week. And, uh, thank you. And we look forward to having you back real soon, man. Stay well. Cheers, guys. Good to talk to you. And special thanks again to Neil Blackman for joining us. Rob, I've got some great matches of the week coming up, and this is a jam-packed week 
for Thanksgiving here in the United States. Definitely some time, uh, if you can take some time off to watch some of these matches, it is going to be well worth it. So let's get on it because it's a long list. On Tuesday, it is a very busy day. PSG Leipzig in the Champions League at 3 p.m. Then we hit all of our MLS Cup playoff matches and Copa Libertadores. So we'll start out at 6 o'clock. We'll have Toronto FC Nashville. Then we go over to the Libertadores with Racing Flamengo at 7.30 p.m. Come back to MLS for Philadelphia New England Revolution at 8 p.m. And Seattle Sounders LAFC will close out the night at 10.30 p.m. On Wednesday, back to Champions League. Inter, Inter Milan against Real Madrid, 3 p.m. Liverpool Atalanta in the Champions League as well at 3 p.m. And Independiente da Valle Nacional will kick off at 5.15 p.m. in the Libertadores. On Thursday, we have Europa League match with Lille and AC Milan at 12.55 p.m. And then in the evening, we'll go back to South America with Guarani Gremio at 7.30 p.m. Friday, we go to league play starting with Wolfsburg against Werder Bremen at 2.30 p.m. in the Bundesliga. Saturday, we go to League 1, where Marseille is going to face off against Nantes at 11 a.m. And then on Sunday morning, Chelsea Spurs in the EPL at 11.30 a.m., Napoli Roma at 2.45 p.m., and a battle of the two of the top teams in La Liga will close out the weekend with Real Sociedad and Villarreal at 3 p.m. as well. Rob, I gave you the trivia question. I would like to give it to you again, my friend. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like we said, because this is a Champions League week, the uh, the Champions League most appearances list is littered with Spanish players. And I gave the five to you. Iker Casillas, Xavi, Raul, Andres Iniesta, and Sergio Ramos are the five Spanish players in the top ten of all-time appearances. I would like you to give me the five non-Spanish players. Well, I think one name that I think is, is always in these lists um... – for a lot of records, not just in the Champions League. Um, I'm going to give you Mr. Lionel Messi as my first option. Lionel Messi, fourth overall, second on this list, 146 appearances. I'm going to give you his perceived career rival uh, in Cristiano Ronaldo. Number one on this list, number two overall, 171 appearances. He's just six behind Casillas, by the way. Right. I'm going to give you a name that... Seems like he's 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 played forever, literally, because he's he's played for such a long time. I'm going to give you Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs, number sixth on this list, third overall, 141 appearances. I was listening to the opening music, and uh, and and I've got Ben Smith talking about the Ryan Giggs of old, and it was like it was kind of it was pretty neat to hear the name and go, oh yeah, he's on this list. It's pretty cool. So uh, <laughs> Giggs is sixth and third on this list. Right. Okay. So now I'm trying to think. Uh... I feel like this guy always seems to be playing a lot of games. You kind of, you feel like this guy's been playing forever. Um, I'm going to go for Kareem Benzema. Not on this list. Not Kareem Benzema. Nope. Okay. In fact, the last, because uh, you've got to give me two more players. One of mm-hmm. them was teammates with Ryan Giggs. Um, and the other one did not play at Manchester United. Okay. Um, Edwin Vandesar? No. Uh, but you're in the you're in the right country. I'm in the right country. So it's a Dutch player. Correct. Ooh. Oh, of course. Rude van Nistelrooy. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there's, wow. There's, wow. There's wait, one more wait, name. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Played with Edwin van der Sar at. Uh, I didn't say that. Uh, no, this, no. The the Dutch player no, that no, we're sorry, look, sorry. the Dutch player played we're talking with, about did played, not play with Ryan Giggs. No, no, the Dutch player did not play with Ryan Giggs at United. There is, okay. there is, there are two more names on the list. One of them was a teammate of uh, of Ryan Giggs at United. Okay. The uh-huh. other one never played at United. And that and, never, 
And the person okay, that never played is Dutch. Okay. Uh, okay. So I'm going to give you Iron Robin. No. It's not him. No. Wow. But, but he did play for a giant that's won this competition quite a few times. He's played for two giants that's won this competition. Not Wesley Schneider. No. Not Wesley not, Snyder. No. Nope. Not Robin Van. Not Robin Van Persie. No. Nope. Think AC ah. Milan. Van Boston. No. Nope. No. One more name. Oh, Although you're giving names. me, you're giving me probably the greatest Dutch team of all time at this point. Yeah. No. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm like, who who is missing? I'll give you the Dutch, but you got to give me the English player. Okay. Yeah. Go give me the Dutch one. Huh? Clarence Seedorf, ninth on the Seedorf. list. Fourth overall, Fourth. 125 appearances. Um, so the last one, Englishman, teammate of Ryan Giggs. Teammate of Ryan Giggs. Wayne Rooney? Nope. No. Gary Neville? No. Uh, one more chance. Uh, Paul Scholes. Bingo. Yeah. Tenth on this list, 124 appearances, only one behind Seedorf, um, played for United from 1994 to 2013. So you think about this list that they all played for the Giants. So Cristiano Ronaldo, 101 appearances, for Real Madrid in this competition, 171 overall. Lionel Messi, all his 146 appearances with Barcelona. Ryan Giggs, all 141 appearances with United. Uh, the difficult one, Clarence Seedorf, 11 appearances with Ajax, 25 with Real Madrid, and 89 with AC Milan in this competition. And Paul Scholes, all his appearances with Man United, 124 of them. So, um, wow, I, I, I was, I, I've got to say, I, all the other names, I'm interested now to see how many appearances they've had on the uh, in the Champions League for them because those Dutch players were legendary and I, yeah, I've got to think that definitely. they're pretty close to that top of that list. So um, I have to go back and look at deeper at those guys. So my friend, uh, I don't have anything left on the docket. So would uh, can we hit the closing music? Absolutely. All right, here we go. And so for episode 306 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Neil Blackman for joining us. Next week, we're going to give you the rundown on Champions League, Europa League, Libertadores, MLS Cup, and see where we are into the quarterfinals. And as well, tell you how the turkey tasted on Thursdays. So for episode 306 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Wash your hands and good night. <laughs>